money, so now you know what to do if you're using well water, I guess. If I'm ever at Carrie's, because her parents live on a well, they have a well, like, I know what to do. (laughs) Anyway. So, yeah, mine is definitely shorter this week, but whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like mine's longer, just because, like, I have, like, two personal anecdotes that go with it. Okay. So, and I did text you half hour ago. Yeah, I just saw that. And then you texted me, and I was like, okay, cool photo. Just have to find out what that means. So, welcome back to episode 25 of Oi with the Terror Already. I'm one of your hosts, Sandra. And I'm your other host, Danielle. And we are excited because it's episode 25 which is a little crazy to think about. And Georgia's here. Georgia. Oh, she's so <laughs> cute. She big. <laughs> I feel like the last time I saw her, she was still kind of small. Maybe like 10 pounds? Nine? So like a fourth of Tim? <laughs> yeah, probably. That's mean. I'm sure Tim is not 40 pounds. <laughs> no, Tim. Yeah, I think he's what? eight. I think he's around 18. Okay, that's not so too bad. I guess about half. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah, a little more than half. <laughs> do you want to start off with Oi of the Week or do you want me to? Sure. Yeah, I feel like I thought of a pretty good one that most people will, I think, agree with me on. Oh boy, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we've been, you and I, I think you probably beat me by now. We started rewatching Gilmore Girls again. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how long ago, a while ago. Yeah. It started when we were hanging out, and then, like, uh, we were just, like, rewatching it separately. Yeah. So, I'm on season five now, which is, like, I think we talked about it before, where, like, basically the evolution of all the characters throughout the seasons, and I think we both agreed. Mm-hmm. You can say if I'm wrong, but College Rory is probably the worst Rory out of all the Rorys. She's definitely up there. Yeah. I'd pull... Season five, is that when Logan comes into the picture? Yeah, that's yeah. the part I'm literally at right now. Yeah, they like have this hookup type relationship. Then she sort of slightly pressures him into saying he'll be her boyfriend. Then um, she goes to the super awkward and formal dinner at his parents' house that like mm-hmm. his, it seems like his sister basically sets up yep. for, for them to attack Rory and stuff. Then she gets an internship at his father's, one of the franchise, like... The newspapers. Newspaper he bought out or whatever. And then after a few weeks of working there, uh, his father takes Rory aside and basically tells her she'll never have a career in journalism. And then basically immediately after that, she decides she wants to drop out of Yale. Yeah, it's a crap. It's a crappy season. It's a crappy end of the season, I feel like. So, yeah, it's just, like, really, like, why? Why? (laughs) So, I'm literally on the episode right now. (laughs) So, your oi of the week is the fact that you're on the episode where Rory is told she's going to be a crap journalist. (laughs) Just, like, the way she handles things, Mm -hmm. I feel like, makes no sense. Like, I I don't know how many times I've rewatched this show, but I feel like I have, like, a whole new perspective this time for some reason. Just, like, the dynamic Rory has with her mom and her grandparents and her like not great boyfriends like relationships stuff like that like she always has this like which is kind of endearing this like open wide-eyed wide-eyed innocence but then it's like if if anyone gives her harsh 
critiques on like anything pretty much she just like shuts down and i'm like that's like such a bad quality mm-hmm. to have like she needs thicker skin personally i think the innocence of the world left in like season four when she slept with dean but <laughs> yeah i know and then yeah she puts herself in these crazy situations like okay i want the nice guy well guess we should i should sleep with him while he's married yeah and that yeah i just i don't know i just hate like after i've realized because like with rewatching it like i will skip a lot of episodes but my older mate carrie she like rewatches it like all the time and she'll Mm. force herself to watch the episodes including the ones she doesn't like and i'm just like no i can't i can't do that i can't watch certain episodes again (laughs) Yeah, I have to, I do that too. Whenever you watch something, I like, I don't know. I, I have to do all of them. I can't like skip over. I also don't have a good enough memory to remember like, oh, these are my favorite ones. Mm-hmm. Like I can't remember episodes like that. But yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's just like so annoying. Even not just Rory, even just like Lorelai and her mother too pisses me off. Like her mom does have issues and is manipulative. But like, I feel like her mom or Lorelai, like the amount of times she calls her Stalin or Hitler. It's like really. It's like you shouldn't compare your mom to Hitler. You know. Or Stalin. It's like they'll always have like a dynamic where she's like, the little rebellious teenager and her mom's like the stern parent like that's yeah. just always her thing yeah i don't know yeah i think definitely re-watching it also i think the thing that kills me the most is like during the revival like i hate rory's oh. character in the revival and i'm just like mitchum was right because she was not cut out to be like a hardcore journalist and she's just like floating around from like place to place and still sleeping with logan even though he's engaged yeah. which is worse so it's like oh no what is happening to this character i do think that I didn't pick up on it the other times I watched it, but, like, the fact that her father is so absent likely is a major, like, part of why she's like that with guys, I'm assuming. I guess it'd be too much of a cliche to have her paired up with, like, a older guy, like, with yeah. Paris, with the professor. With the professor, <laughs> yeah. But I think there is something to say about that, how, like, yeah, she doesn't really have much relationship with her father. yeah. I don't know. I just want to know if they're going to continue or if that's just where they're going to leave it, where she's like, hey, mom, I'm pregnant, but like no one knows who the father is, but I think I know who it is. It's kind of like a Mama Mia situation, right? Yeah, because there are. There are like three options. It's like, yeah, just, which I don't think so, Logan, possibility, or the Wookiee. <laughs> I hope it was out of everyone, like Jess would be the best. I feel like, I feel like having a kid would be a good bond for them. Yeah. I don't think it was, though. I don't know. I feel like it's, like, repeating, like, Lorelai's story where it's, like, Rory's Christopher is Logan and her Luke Mm. is Jess, and that's kind of what I want it to be, but I don't know. Maybe. I could be wrong. Maybe we should have the listeners share their thoughts. (laughs) Those of them that watch Gilmore Girl. Yeah, if anyone needs a refresher, because we haven't mentioned it in a while, but our the name of the podcast, Away with the Terror Already, is a take on one of the early episodes of Gilmore Girls. Yeah. The fashion show one or something? I think so. I don't know. I just remember it's called Oi with the Poodles already. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's kind of where it came from. That's our origin. 
Yeah. And the fact that, like, I feel like now with listening to Danielle's, like, true crime stories, every time I watch Gilmore Girls, I'm like, oh, there's a reference that I didn't catch before. I know. It's so funny. Like, there was a Lydia Hurst or uh, Patty Hurst reference. Patty Hurst. Yeah. Loretta Bobbins. There's a Loretta Bobbins reference. Yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe that's it. Yeah, that's there was another one, too. It could have been that one. Leopold yeah. and Loeb was like once or twice. Oh, yeah. There's so many references. Every time, and I have to text Danielle because I'll just be like, I'm watching Gilmore Girls, and they made another reference that went they over know. my head. So They're like rapid fire dialogue. There's, mm-hmm. They say so many things so quickly. Yeah, it's crazy. It's nuts. But uh, yeah, I guess I'll, what is my OI of the week? Let me think. I had one. I think it's honestly just preparing for this storm. Mm-hmm. So for those of you that live in the East Coast, this past weekend, we were supposed to get a horrendous hurricane for the first time in like 30 years. And it was supposed to hit like the Massachusetts area. So the whole week last week, they were like really ramping it up. Like you should get your supplies. Like it's going to be really bad. Like it's supposed to hit this time. And then it looked like it was going to go towards like Connecticut. And I think it hit Rhode Island mostly. So over the weekend on Saturday, I was like super productive and my parents convinced me to go and get more supplies because they're like you might need them so that was my way of the week or the weekend is just like gearing up for the supplies and then being like oh we got like three inches of rain (laughs) okay cool and it's also just disappointing because you look forward to like a good storm and then like nothing happens and it's like it's like a snowstorm they ramp it up and nothing i'm happy i didn't lose power because i don't know how i would have worked from home because I, yeah. at this point, I've been working there a month or just over a month. And I basically have like negative PTO and vacation time for my bachelorette. And I haven't even requested yet for my honeymoon. I mean, I asked my supervisor, mm-hmm. but I haven't like put the time in. So I'm going to have, I mean, at that point, it's going to be May. So it mm-hmm. should be in the positive. But yeah, so if I had to take like a payday. I would not have been happy or whatever. I think they would have understood, though, like, if you lost power. I think they maybe. Most companies would have been like, okay. I don't know. Dave was saying if we lost power, he would have taken a vacation day. Yeah, the issue I have is, like, if I lose power, most likely my work has lost power because I Mm -hmm. live pretty close. So I probably would have just gone into the office if they had power and just been like... Yeah, that's probably what I would have tried doing if... Yeah. But... But yeah, if the weather was really that bad, I don't know how driving would have been anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, luckily, I guess. Now it's just gross and humid, so. Yeah, it is gross. It's actually, I think it's 75 now. Okay. So it's not too horrible. But it's supposed to be in the 90s this week again, so. Mm. Here we go. I'm ready for fall. I can definitely say that I'm ready. I know, ready. this summer has been, like, ugh, disappointing. I mean, there have been a few nice weekends, but like, like constantly humid. It's constantly humid. I feel like it's been raining quite a bit and I'm just ready for like, Mm. ready for like flannel and Mm. pumpkin muffins and just like cooler weather. (laughs) Hopefully not until mid-October. Yeah, after your wedding. (laughs) After your wedding, it can get cold. A little cooler, just not cold. Anything in the 60s or 70s. Watch it snow. (laughs) I mean, it, watch it like snow on like your wedding day. We like our freak snowstorm in October. That only happens once every like 10 years. Mm-hmm. And she's quiet. So I don't even know what to say. To that. All right. How about we get on with, I guess I'm starting for, I'm going first this week since you went first last week. So the hint that I texted you 
was that I'm trying to remember how I worded it. I think it was we've both been there. Yep. So before I start, do you have any guesses or any ideas? Westfield Trumbull Mall. No. <laughs> no. Uh, the um, Penfield Beach. Nope. <laughs> um, Penny's Diner. Think of like our trip to Newport. Oh, I don't know why I'm only thinking of Connecticut. I don't know. When you said somewhere we've both been, I was like, it has to be in Connecticut. We've been to other places together. That's we've been to true. other states together. Uh, one of those mansions then? In Newport? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Um, if you don't get the name, that's fine. <laughs> there were a lot of Vanderbilt ones, but they had different names. There was one that started with a B. Mm-hmm. Falcourt? Yes. That is what I picked this week. And the reason why I picked it was because I went to CVS on Saturday and I got one of those weird little like haunted places in the Northeast books that they always have that I always pass by. And I was like, check it out. Maybe there's something there. And there was, there was the bell court. So because Mm. you and I went there, oh geez, was it like three years ago, two years ago? I don't remember when. I want to say it was like two years ago. I don't know. Yeah, it was three years ago. Between two and a half and three. Maybe two and a half-ish. It was in June, I feel like. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. I think so. But yeah, so we went there for a weekend and we saw a bunch of mansions and we went horseback riding and we stayed Mm -hmm. in like this cute little Airbnb that was a barn that they restored into a guest house. (laughs) It was definitely designed for like couples. But it was fine. We're both small, so the bed had enough room. <laughs> yeah, it was a little romantic. Yeah, it was like, um, basically the whole Airbnb was like, it was designed very well, mm-hmm. so everything looked nice, but it was like a good-sized bed, a little area for reading, like mini f- fridge microwave, and then bathroom, <laughs> And then, like, there were, um, it was kind of on a farm, (laughs) so there were, like, rabbits and some horses and stuff, so that was cool. Yeah, there was a horse right next to us, like, part of the horse's sleeping area was right next to, like, where the headrest was, so, like, we'd wake up Mm. in the morning to, like, the horse, like, waking up. or that was so annoying. I feel like, I only remember it, I think... I think it was on the last night, basically, mm-hmm. when we were about, yeah, the day we left, um, the last morning. And then, yeah, we just heard, like, this, like, loud metal banging mm-hmm. noise. And, like, like, it sounded like it was literally on the other side of where our heads were. Yeah, which was great. But it was fun. I mentioned that in the review. Yeah. Everything else was nice, but that was... That was a little at night. It was, like, seven in the morning, yeah. I think, or something like that. It was, I don't know, but... Because I think that's when um, the owner would go out to feed them. Right, it was like right. 7.30. So then they'd be like... Well, I remember she she like left us a note or sent a message like, oh, I won't be there to feed the horses. I think my, she said my husband will be the one doing it. So it's like, well, we can tell it's not you. But, yeah. yeah. But it was fun. It was a good... It was definitely a fun trip. So during that trip, we got to go to like a bunch of the, bunch of the mansions, which was great. So the one I picked for this week is the Belcourt Castle in Newport, Rhode Island. And I picked it because it was in the book I found. But I also picked it because since you and I have been there, I figured we could talk a little bit about that if you wanted to. And it was also a terrifying experience for me when I was little. 
I think I told you this story. Yeah. Yep. So I'll get into it first and then I'll go into that little fun detail that my family will appreciate me sharing because they get a kick out of it every single time they bring it up. So uh, the Belcourt is actually a former summer cottage that was designed by the architect Richard Morris Hunt, and it was designed for Oliver Hazard Perry Belmont. It's located on Bellevue Avenue in Newport, Rhode Island. The construction began in 1891 and they completed it in 1894. It was actually intended to be used for only six to eight weeks of the year. And it was designed by in a multitude of European styles and periods. So it features a very heavy emphasis on the French Renaissance and Gothic decor, as well as a lot of Italian design. Um, So when construction finished in 1894, the entire first floor was composed of a carriage space and a multitude of stables for Belmont's prized horses. Then upstairs was the master bedroom, as well as scenes depicting the life of the noblewoman and a bathroom with Newport's first standing shower which I guess was a big deal um, because they usually only had baths at the time. It was scheduled to open for July 4th of that year, and then it would actually remain closed for the summer season. While Belmont was hospitalized in New York City, he was the victim of a mugging. So it would be a full year until Belmont actually saw his completed mansion. Basically, then in the summer of 1895, um, it witnessed the 30 servants of Belcourt preparing the vast estate for the arrival of its owner, and Belmont immediately set out to inspect everything, including the stables and all of the buildings and everything. So he designed the castle to be magnificent on the outside, but also somewhat eccentric on the inside. He housed his vast collection of horses and carriages on the ground floor, which was accessed by two huge carriage entrances on either side of the north facade. And to the west of the vast area was Belmont's Francis, the first Renaissance-style Grand Hall and Foyer, which exited onto the Ledge Road. Basically, there was also a grand staircase that was put in, and he basically designed it to be very, very eccentric, but also to look very, very expensive. So he actually remarried his neighbor, Alva, Alva Vanderbilt, who, if anybody knows anything about Newport, Rhode Island, basically the Vanderbilts, I want to say, kind of owned Newport at the time. They just had a lot of property and a lot of money. And I think it was like three or four of the mansions we went to, the Vanderbilts were somehow connected to them, which was crazy because these mansions are not that far apart. Mm -hmm. So that was just kind of crazy to realize how much of an emphasis they had in Newport, Rhode Island and how much wealth they had. It's definitely like the inspiration for whenever I think of those mansions, I always think of Great Gatsby because mm-hmm. it's supposed to, it's like the same time era. Yeah. Was one, that was the same time when all the people were going there just for the summers mm-hmm. yeah. to hang out. It was that type of like opulence and glamour. I just remember one mansion was like completely made out of marble. Yeah. And I, you and I were like walking around and I was like, this whole mansion is just made out of marble. That's an interesting choice. Okay. But it was cool. Like, and it's amazing how they are still like standing today. So Alva was the former wife of William Kissam Vanderbilt. And they got married, I believe, on January 11th, 1896. So she was actually the one to really get into reshaping Belcourt. She was the one that 
wanted to transform a lot of things and she was the one that converted the carriage room into a banquet hall and transformed a study into a boudoir um, which was importing 18th century French paneling and then in 1899 Belcourt was the host of the nation's first automobile parade. So Oliver actually died in 1908 and then Mrs. Belmont or Alva died in France on January 26, 1933. So that's when Belcourt actually was passed down to Harry Belmont, who was the eldest Belmont child and Alva's brother-in-law. And he at the time was 80 years old. So this was at the onset of World War II. Perry Belmont had most of the contents of Belcourt moved to his other estates as Newport actually turned into a naval base and was potentially at risk of being attacked. So what also happened was select pieces of Alva's were actually auctioned off, and Perry allegedly had no great love for her and didn't really care, so he was fine with just letting a bunch of her things be auctioned. Then in 1940, Belmont decided to rid himself of Belcourt Castle, and negotiations commenced with George Waterman, who was an entrepreneur at the time. He envisioned Belcourt as an antique auto museum, um, the only conditions of the sale were that Waterman had to restore the castle as close to possible to Hunt's original plans. Waterman was responsible for the restoration of the third floor roof and removal of additional overlooking the courtyard. He basically paid $1,000 for the castle, and Waterman was then informed that zoning would not allow an antique auto museum, like an antique auto museum to be, like the, because of zoning rules, he wasn't allowed to convert it into the auto museum. So then he sold it to Edward Dunn in 1943, who actually never lived there during the 11 years that he owned it, which was up until 1954. And during the war years, when many of the grand mansions were actually being raised or converted into various institutions, he rented the stables of the rundown castle to the military to use for repairing equipment. He then sold Belcourt to Louis and Elaine Lorillard in 1954 for 22500 they were of tobacco fame and they envisioned Belcourt as the seat for the Newport Jazz Festival. So then the lands of the Bellevue Avenue could accommodate over 10,000 and the masonry and stucco facade provided an acoustic background. So that's what they wanted to do with it. But at this time, Belcourt had deteriorated largely because it was inhabited over two decades. So in November 1956, they then sold it to the Tinney family. And this is where things get interesting. And I didn't realize that part was going to take me that long because the Tinney family is where all of the weirdness of Belcourt Castle starts to happen. Oh, really? Because of what they own. So I don't know if you've ever seen, you've seen it, Ghost Hunters, regular, not the international. Yeah. Like one of the first seasons, they actually go to investigate Belcourt Castle. And that's when the Tinney family still owned it because right now it's owned by somebody else. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, this is where I get excited because this is where, like, for me, it gets, like, really interesting. So the Tinney family of Cumberton, Rhode Island, they bought it, the Belcourt, in 1956 for $25,000. So they changed it from Belcourt to Belcourt Castle. They filled the castle with their own weird collection and antiques and reproductions. This included um, a coronation coach which their son Donald made, and a 1701 copy of Hyacinth Regard portrait of Louis, I want to say Louis XIV, which hung in the green room in the palace of the Tuileries. Um, they also had a centerpiece 
of the tinny editions with an enormous imperial Russian style chandelier, which holds up to 13,000 rock crystal prisms and 105 lights. And that chandelier actually hangs a few feet or it hung when they owned it a few feet above the rose marble mosaic floor in banquet hall. So at the time that it was purchased in 1956 by the tinny family, it, they comprised of Harold tinny and his wife, Ruthie tinny, their son, Donald and Ruthie's aunt, Nellie Fuller, who was a descendant of, Mayflower passenger Edward Fuller. Um, in 1960, David Tinney married Harl Hansen, who had been at Belcourt to work as a tour guide. I'm sorry, Harley. I think it's Harley. Harley Tinney was the only surviving member of the family when Belcourt was sold in 2012. The other artifacts that were owned by the Tinneys included Persian rugs and basically the weirdest thing. Well, I guess not the weirdest thing, but one thing that happened was in 1983, robbers attempted a million dollar heist on Belcourt's antiques, but police recovered many artifacts, but they could not find a 14 pound silver regularly note containing a relic from the third century. Maybe it was the same people behind the Isabella Stewart Gardner heist. Maybe. I mean, that is, that is possible, but I don't know. Was that in the 80s or in the 90s? That's what I'm trying to think. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can. It's either 80s or 90s. I'm not sure. Yeah. So some of the other weird stuff that they owned, and it took me a while to find it. So they owned an old, and I actually remember this from when I was younger. They owned like an old set of armor that used to make like a lot of noise. There were two chairs that they owned that would like throw you out if you tried to sit in them. There was an old monk statue that they owned that is supposedly an angry spirit would um, live inside the monk and would come out and would haunt people. So they, while they owned like normal old school stuff, they also owned some really creepy stuff and they owned it until it was sold again in 2012. So today it's actually being restored to its essentially its former glory. Mm -hmm. It's inspired by Alva Vanderbilt's like innovation, vision, and style. And the current owner, Carolyn Raphaelian, is currently in the process of restoring the mansions. Basically, she's trying to restore everything. So she's studying old photographs and she's using them to kind of recreate what it was. Um, because I think when you and I were there, it was still being in the process of being restored. Like I remember it being very different than it was when I was there when I was like nine or ten. Mm-hmm. So the main question that everyone still asks and that I really wanted to ask the tour guide when we were on the tour is, is it still haunted? Because during that tour, he said nothing. Mm -hmm. He didn't say anything about anything. And I was so mad because I was like, I could have sworn this is the place I went to when I was little that scared the crap out of me, which is a story I'll get to in a minute. I mean, also, when we went there, we inadvertently got a private tour because apparently no one else was there at that time. We actually arrived, like, I don't, I don't know, three or five minutes late mm -hmm. for the schedule. They were supposed to have one every hour on the hour or something like that. Yeah. So we get there almost five minutes late, like, running in. And then, he like, this guy, this guy, like, alone at a desk, like, kind of typical, like youngish historian looking guy i guess like is yeah. like oh i'll wait a few more minutes if anyone else shows up so we just had a private tour we did it and it was an awkward private tour <laughs> because we didn't ask any questions we didn't know what to ask 
we were just we're like, okay, cool, this is great, and yeah, I'm walking I mean, around. That's like, I, th- I feel like he just really went into detail about the design of the place. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he did, he talked about the history, but I feel like he was really like focused on where I did. I do remember he talked about um, a suit of armor that was mm-hmm. supposedly haunted. That's yep. like thousands of years old or something like that. Yeah. So the thing I was trying to figure out, because there's not really much said online anymore because they're doing the restoration, is whether or not it's haunted. So I found a few things, and then I'll go into my own personal thing that happened when I was little. So one story, it says a young female tour guide, while leading a group of visitors through the French Gothic ballroom, heard a male voice tell her several times to get out. And this was all during the summer season. She felt really uncomfortable, and she actually didn't come back the next season. Then the monk entity that I mentioned, there seems to be um, a full monk entity in full monk attire, brown robe, hood, and he just kind of wanders around wherever the statue is located. So he first reappeared at the end of the bed in Donald and Harley's bedroom in a semi-solid state wearing a a monk's robe and hood. And then when his statue was moved to the first floor ladies' room, his figure would be seen walking out of the nearby Grand Hall and into the ladies' room. And then I guess like he communicated through someone named Virginia and told of his wishes to be moved into the chapel. (laughs) So after they moved him into the chapel, a visitor saw his solid form preparing for mass in the chapel. She then asked Harley Tenney, who was a tour guide, uh, when the mass was going to be and held. And basically, yeah, there is... There was never going to be a mass. Like, nothing was going to be held because they don't do that. So they were like, oh, yeah, that is the monk that just kind of wanders around. (laughs) And then, um, so supposedly there's also an angry spirit of the night that relives his death. Basically, what happened was a spear was thrown, I guess, like, through his helmet visor. And apparently it wasn't a very pleasant death because that doesn't sound pleasant at all. So you can actually hear like his screams and shrieks of agony that are heard by the staff. And at the time, this is when the Tinney family owned it. So they were heard by the Tinney family. For some reason, it was more through like the month of March, um, which apparently is the month that he was killed. Mm. And again, this woman, Virginia, who I want to say was like, I don't know, maybe like a, I don't know what the word psychic, maybe medium. Yeah, medium, probably. He told her that he had been left for dead by his fellow knights, so he died alone of his wounds. And during the tour, you can actually see, I guess, people reported back when the Tinnies owned it that during the tour, and they still had the knight there, that you could see his helmet, like it said to turn like by itself um, to check out like the people that are entering and leaving the room. So if you watch it, clo- if you watched it closely, it would like move, which is creepy. They've also randomly seen this lady in a ballroom, a ball gown that's been seen on the second floor gallery. Um, they've seen an older woman in pink attire that has been appearing in the Harley Tinney's bedroom and then occasionally has been seen in like Ruth Tinney's room or something. Um, there is the armor of the castle that would move and make noise. And then the chair in the front of the castle would actually throw people out if they tried to sit in it. So that's where I'm going to bring in my personal anecdote from when I was a kid. So basically when I was like, I want to say I was like six or seven, we decided to visit Newport because we would usually in the summers. And my dad was all gun and ho to visit this castle. And at the time I hated like ghost stories. I just hated all of it. And I was a brat. And I'll admit that. So we go to this one and the tour starts right off about like, 
talking about the story of the guy, one of the guys who was helping build the castle. He like, I couldn't find anything on this, so I don't know if it's true or not. Mm-hmm. He, I guess one of the workers like fell and fell like through the floor and was buried by like a bunch of stuff. So he died. So supposedly his bones are like still in the floor. Like they couldn't retrieve his body. So they just built on top of him. So that was the first story. So that's terrifying to like a six or seven year old. And then it just continued. And we got to the part where they were talking about the chair and they had like the chairs like roped off. Cause I think it was one or two. And I guess like if you sit in it, they would throw you. And I got really freaked out. So the lady, the tour guide was like, if you wear this crown, this little like plastic crown, like the ghosts will leave you alone. I was like, okay, sure. So I wore it and I was fine and they let me keep it. But yeah, it took them telling me to be like, if you wear this crown, you'll be fine. But I do remember going through and hearing the different stories and hearing the stories about like the knights that would move and the screaming and just like the weird like two female ghosts that would walk around. Right. So I was kind of disappointed when you and I went and they did not say anything. It probably depends on the guide. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like that guy was very much into, like, the facts of things. Yeah. But I remember him mentioning, like, the creepy suit of armor. And I feel like for some reason, I remember him mentioning, like, one of the tinnies. I think it was the, the um, God, what's his name? <sighs> Who bought it? I don't remember his name, but I think it was, like, the older, older tinny. Um, supposedly has been seen like walking around the castle at night mm. in like a bathrobe or something. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, Donald. I think it was Donald. So supposedly like you can see him like walking around at night, just like checking on everything, making sure everything looks good. Cause he was really like, he loved owning that place and he loved like restoring it and the tours and everything. So isn't the current owner, the lady who owns Alex and Ani? I think so. so. This is right. Yeah, I remember that one of the tours we did, they said, oh, yeah, the current owner is the Alex and Ani person. Because mm-hmm. I yeah. think they're from Rhode Island, too. Yeah, she she's the owner of, yep, Alex and Ani and hmm. of the Cranston, Rhode Island-based company, Alex and Ani. Yeah. So she's in the process of, like, restoring everything okay. back to what it looked like. So I'd kind of want to go see it a little bit later, yeah. like, after COVID, just to be, like... How much work have they been able to do? Like, is it restored back? Are they still doing the ghost tours? Or is it just now, like, here's the history of, like, five right. families that have owned it and what they did. It definitely looked like it wasn't very busy, too. Yeah. So, yeah, they could have more going on when it's done being restored. Yeah. I just felt bad because I felt like I, like, <laughs> built it all up for you. And then we go and we're just like, oh, we get, like, the really big history I buff. thought it was cool. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, you always get people like that, especially with these, like, older historical landmarks. Mm-hmm. So yeah. and I feel like there are people who are strictly, like, get insulted, probably, if you, I mean, I don't know if he's one of those people, but you get those types where it's, like, only want to stick to, like, what you learn in history class, basically. Yeah. I was also like, are they on just like an anti-ghost thing? Like, is it because things are happening and Maybe. they just don't want to mention it? Because, like, they don't want to mess up the restoration process. Because, like, if you're going to restore it, like, yeah. are you going to have the monk statue? Like, are you going to have the suits of armor? Like, yeah. what are you going to do? Where are those? That's my question. I think the monk is the monk is still the there. Storage. I think mm-hmm. I remember seeing it in the chapel, so I think that's still there. But with right. everything else, I'm like, are you going to, like, try to sell it? Like, what are you going to do? So, but I thought it was just, like, fun and interesting. And- yeah. 
I don't know. I learned more about it. I didn't know it was owned by like three or three families, four families. So yeah, Newport's interesting. It's a nice yeah. area. It is. It's a yeah. gorgeous area. It's definitely yeah. one of like my favorite areas, I think, probably in the Northeast because I would go there all the time as a kid. Mm. So good memories. it's not a very well-known crime those are always the best i don't remember where i first learned about it i feel like i learned about it like accidentally when i was reading something else and then just saw like a headline and i was just like wait what this i can't believe this happened it's about frank lloyd wright who's considered one of the world's most well-known architects and one of the most influential designers of the 20th century yeah he's um i know the name He's not from New England, but I feel like he did design some well-known buildings. Wait, maybe I should just Google that because that's actually now Frank Lloyd. But he did a lot in Chicago. Uh, His well-known... Oh, he did uh, the Guggenheim Museum in Mm -hmm. New York City. That's where I know him. So, yeah, that's like the one that's catching my eye when I just Googled it. Yeah, so the Guggenheim's interesting. There's like spiraliness. But there's one part of Wright's life that is often overlooked. In 1914, his mistress, as well as six others, were murdered at his Wisconsin home and studio, which was named Talesian. Martha, I don't know how you say this. It's like, quote, like her nickname. It looks like it says Mama, M-A-M-A-H, which is like either Mama or like Mama. Mama. But yeah, I don't maybe mama. Yeah, I don't know. Like people would call her mama Borthwick Cheney. She was the wife of one of Wright's clients as well as his mistress. She was a well-known American translator and she and Wright were noted for bringing the ideas and writings of a Swedish feminist Ellen Kay to American audiences. Wright was 47 years old when he knelt beside her grave her grave, which had a plain white pine box carpeted with flowers. Her funeral was not long after Wright was commissioned by businessman and Oak Park, Illinois neighbor Edwin Cheney to design a house in 1903. Wright began to fall in love with his new wife's new client's wife, Martha Borthwick. She initially met Frank Lloyd Wright's wife, Catherine, when they were at a social club together. The architect himself was married with six children. In 1909, Wright and Borthwick ran off to Europe together. The Cheneys filed for divorce while Borthwick was in Europe based on the reason of abandonment. But Catherine Wright, Frank Lloyd Wright's wife, refused to grant him a divorce. So basically, Wright wanted a hideaway where he could live with his mistress and her children. 
He built a, resi- a residence and studio in 1911 in Spring Green, uh, Wisconsin, which the architect dubbed as Talesian to honor the Welsh bard. He wanted to shield Borthwick from nosy reporters and from aggressive public sentiment because I guess he was well known at this point. So there was a lot of public attention about their affair and a lot of it was negative and people in that community where the house was basically were trying to get the couple out because they thought that it lacked morals and I don't know, they just frowned down upon the relationship. I mean, it makes sense. Especially at that time. Yeah. Like, early, yeah. 19th, 20th century is not a great time for, yeah. Before social media and all that, when you had to, like, physically stalk them or try to get them out, yeah. So the press called the house the Love Cottage or the Castle of Love. And as I just mentioned, the local residents were not thrilled about their new neighbors, The superintendent of Iowa County Schools told a reporter, quote, the scandal is bound to have a demoralizing effect on the school children of the community. It is an outrage to allow young men and women and boys and girls to grow up in the belief that a man and woman can go disregard the bonds of marriage, end quote. There was an attempt to drive the couple from Spring Green Um, There were threats of tarring and feathering them, but this failed to scare the couple away. And the townspeople actually called the local sheriff to arrest Wright, but Wright was unfazed. I guess he was considered pretty eccentric, and he never really cared about abiding by societal conventions. And it sounds like he never really cared about what the outside world thought about his relationship. So apparently he said, he told one reporter, quote, Two women were necessary for a man of artistic mind, one to be the mother of his children and the other to be his mental companion, his inspiration and his soulmate. Laws and rules are not are made for aver- the average. The ordinary man cannot live without rules to guide his conduct. It is an infinitely more difficult to live without rules. But that is what the really honest, sincere thinking man is compelled to do. And just what? <laughs> I don't know. It sounds a little bit like Leopold and Loby, where he's like, I'm above the law. Mm-hmm. But one woman is needed to have kids. One is needed to be his inspiration. Can you just like imagine? He sounds like a gem. Yeah. Like, imagine, like, Dave, like, coming up to you and telling you that. Yeah, I don't... And this was, like, 1914, so he must have been youngish at this point, I'm assuming. I don't know. I mean, he was married with kids, but it doesn't sound like he was that old. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So it was on Saturday, August 15th, 1914... Frank Lloyd Wright was away for a business trip in Chicago working on the design of Midway Gardens when Martha Borthwick, his mistress, sat down to have lunch on the dining room porch. Her two children, 12-year-old John and 8-year-old Martha, were also there. Five of Wright's employees, Emile Burdell, Thomas Bunker, David Lindblom, 
Herbert Fritz and William Weston, as well as William's son Ernest, joined them for lunch. 30-year-old Barbados native Julian Carlton, a handyman who did general work around the property, approached William Weston and asked if he could retrieve a container of gasoline to clean some dirty rugs. Uh, Weston granted Carlton permission, which ultimately sealed the diner's fate. Carlton returned both with the gasoline and a large axe. His wife, who also worked on the property and was a chef, just finished serving everyone's soup and was instructed to leave by Carlton. He then proceeded to slaughter Martha and her children on the porch. Then he poured gasoline under the dining room doors and around the outside walls and lit the house on fire with the others trapped inside. The dining room burst into flames. Those who were not burned right away tried breaking through a window to escape, but each was met by the cold blade of Carlton's axe as he stood outside the window waiting for each person. Two men did end up surviving the ordeal. I think it actually I found out three, but one article said two, two men, but I think it was actually three men. So one guy who survived was 19-year-old draftsman Herbert Fritz, whose clothes and hair were burning when he reached the window first and was able to get far enough away before Carlton noticed him. Fritz rolled down the hill to put out the flames. Fritz later said he and his table mates noticed something unusual when they were dining. Apparently they heard what sounded like a swish, like water was being thrown through the screen door. And then they saw fluid coming from under the door. He said it looked like dishwater and it spread out everywhere. And the other guy who survived was a 35-year-old master carpenter who helped to build Talesian, William Weston who survived when Carlton Carlton mistakenly thought he was dead. And then along with the third person, landscape gardener David Lindblom, the three men escaped together. They ran half a mile to the nearest house and called for help. When the townspeople quickly arrived, because this was the time where townspeople would arrive before the actual police or like towns, they would just like show up and be like, "Ooh, I wonder what happened here. Mm -hmm. And I've heard so many like situations where people just like walk through houses and look at the bodies like, like it's crazy there basically weren't any rules at this point like no and you're also disturbing like so much of the evidence I know. like no like today that's a no i know that's so bad so when the townspeople arrived at the house they found the bodies of martha borthwick her two children two workers and a 13 year old boy and David Lindblom, the gardener, actually ended up dying later on from the burns he sustained. So seven people died in total and two survived. Hours after the incident, Carlton was found by police alive, but barely conscious, hiding in a surface. He attempted to kill himself by swallowing what he believed to be a lethal dose of hydrochloric, hydrochloric acid. And he was taken to prison, but died of starvation a few weeks later because he was unable to eat or drink due to the acid's damage to his esophagus and stomach. Carlton's motive for the crime was never fully determined, 
he pled not guilty and never explained his actions to the authorities before passing away. The most common theory is that Carlton lost it after finding out he was going to be let go from his job. Witnesses claimed that he fought frequently with the other employees and Wright's mistress, Mary or Martha. Wright actually put an ad in the paper to find a replacement. Carlton's wife, Gertrude, uh, testified that her husband had recently grown agitated and paranoid, and the two of them were planning on going to travel to find work on the same day as the killings. Um, There were rumors of workers possibly directing racial slurs at Carlton and of a dispute, dispute a few days earlier about saddling a horse incorrectly. One of Talesian's surviving workers said that Borthwick had told the Carltons that they were being let go. Even after this tragedy, the public was still stuck on the relationship between Wright and Borthwick. Wright invested his efforts in resurrecting Talesian after much of it was destroyed by the fire. By the end of 1914, the residential wing of the estate was rebuilt. Wright also proclaimed his love for another woman who he met when she wrote him a condolence letter. <laughs> they married in 1923 after his wife, Catherine finally granted him the divorce he asked for earlier. Two years before Wright's estate burned to the ground again due to faulty wiring. Um, so he rebuilt Silesian once again. Wright continued using the property as his home and studio up until his death. Despite its controversial beginnings as the house Wright built for a woman who was not his wife to becoming the site of the deadliest single killer rampage in Wisconsin's history. Silesian is open... Um, to this day, and is actually visited by thousands of tourists every year. So, if we're ever in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, road trip. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's like something I find it fascinating because it's kind of, it's related to this really well-known guy who has no affiliation with crime, really. And then it's like, oh, by the way, his mistress was murdered in this crazy crime so yeah. it's just like i was waiting for you to like either be like here's the motive or mm-hmm. like here's the confession but it's like that's just crazy it sounds like it was mainly yeah no one knows for sure but just the main guess is because they were being let go and carlton and his wife were living there as well so that means yeah like, they, they lose find new work new place yeah. to live but also like who uses gasoline to clean a rug? Uh, yeah. Like, that's my question. I have no idea. No. No. If any listeners know about cleaning rugs with gasoline, please feel free please, to write it to us. Please let us know because I don't think that's right. I don't know. Like, if you ever asked me to be like, hey, can I borrow gasoline to clean a rug? I would just be like, what? No. Why? Maybe, like, the backside of the rug that you don't look... I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't but, make like, sense. But, like, it would smell. Like, I it know. would just freak of gasoline. Like, that's gross. So, I don't get that. But that's crazy. That's the one discrepancy. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would just be my first question. I would just stop and be like, why do you need, right. like, gasoline to clean a carpet? Why? Just explain this to me. Just why? So, 
don't know. I just feel bad for like the mistress and the kids, like especially the kids because they did not ask for any of this. Yeah, they were innocent. So mm-hmm. that's just. And also, I I wonder if he planned it knowing Wright wasn't going to be there. Probably. Maybe for some reason he liked Wright or he's just like, oh, I just need to do it today. It doesn't matter who's here. Or if he was really just going for Borthwick and targeting her. Because it just happened to happen when Wright was like in Chicago. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least he had an alibi. At least it wasn't him, because that's what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to be like, right, murdered someone. Oh, and it's yeah. like, Wow, that would have been even more salacious. Here's what you think of my love nest or whatever. Love yeah. nest. Oh, God. Yeah. No, definitely. Like, I definitely had a few, like, twists and turns there. Where yeah. I was like, wait, what? Like, the wife not granting divorce and then finally granting divorce. And then him meeting his other wife. From her writing him a condolence letter. A condolence letter? Man, artists. (laughs) So yeah, I figured I... I mean, it's murder again, but there's so many different kinds of murder. Yeah, there are. So many. So many different kinds. But, wow. So, thanks again for listening, everyone, to episode 25. Um, as always, we release new episodes every Thursday. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. We post content on our Instagram page at Oi with the Terror already. And if you have any suggestions or just want to say hi, you can email us at Oi with the Terror already at gmail.com. We also would like to thank our new listeners. <laughs> as well Uh, we've been noticing that we're getting a few more international and then a few more like stateside so thanks guys we appreciate it and i guess we'll see you next week bye